0: welcome to the truth podcast i'm here with a very special guest he is known as four-time mr olympia uh how many times you win the arnold
1: three
0: three times not that arnold's are that much lesser than the olympias but four times yeah, crazy. and and two with me mr olympia jay cutler um jay came all the way from las vegas and we've been wanting to do this for a very very long time This is special for me because we have never sat down and really talked about 2009 history, what happened, probably the most well-known photograph in all of bodybuilding, the foot stomp and uh, what we did together. And I know that when you and I talked about it originally, it was cool because you said, hey, I don't really want to do that podcast. And I was like, okay, if you don't want to do it, no problem. But then you said on zoom <laughs> you added in the on zoom part um you wanted to do it in person so I really appreciate you coming out here really
1: no I mean it's uh I've been following along and obviously we have a deep relationship and it stems actually way before 2009 right and uh you know we've all progressed through business you know when I got came off the stages and you know we achieved greatness which I never imagined it ever being what it was and I'm sure we'll talk about our discussion after 2009 what was next right uh but you know we talk about the arnold victories and you know kind of how i came up in it and the expectations weren't necessarily the top i think i'm even actually gone on record to say that i don't know if i'd ever win the mr Olympia. i think at my first dvd actually uh, which was the early social media I stated that I don't ever plan to be Mr. Olympia. And then sooner or later it was right there at my fingertips. And, you know, I had a battle of greatness to become greater. And, uh, you know, I lost the title, came back to win it, which we did together, which, you know, we'll probably talk a little bit about that. It was a pretty crazy time for us, you know?
0: Yeah, it, 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 a lot of people don't, it's been, what is it, 12 years. Right, 12 years this last January, we started working together. And I met you at the, officially, I believe it was at the Golds, the Old Golds Gym in San Jose, off of Meridian. And you used to be with your old, old, old sponsor. Um, And you had like, was it M3, that product? Pro-M3. Pro-M3. by protein, ISS. ISS, research. And you'd come in there. And, uh, you were down for the weekend or whatever it was, I think it was just the day Mm -hmm. maybe for an autograph signing. And we had met, so that was like 21 years ago. And, uh, I had just moved back to the Bay area and I was building a name for myself in, in the local kind of scene. And you were basically, God, what? how many years were you a pro at that point?
1: I was probably a pro for Four years, because I think I signed with that company in two thousand. That's when I started. Remember, I signed with Weeder first. You know, right after winning the nationals, I won my card in ninety six, and then I was with weeder from ninety seven through uh, two thousand. And then I signed for a three year deal with ISS, which a lot of people they did the oh they did oh yeah, and basically the one bar that just sold to Hershey last year. Uh, so I was with that company for three years. And then of course went to muscle tech later but we did a lot of uh you know appearances meaning uh we did setups and sampling and just trying to get the brand out there back then so i did set up in gyms nutrition shops and you know it's a little different you don't get as many gym appearances by the athletes now uh but you know most of the gyms sold supplements back then which many do not at this point right yeah
0: they had a pro shop denise which her last name is now cook who married chris cook was the manager there at the time and see i didn't know that yeah and they ended up meeting at that gym and that's where i met chris cook who eventually turned pro and uh which uh i trained he won two usa titles and then he ended up turning pro with with chris yeah and um the coolest thing was the fact that at that point i had just started getting i think quincy ready that following year, after I met you in two thousand, it was like two thousand and one, and so I, I don't know if you knew me before then or
1: not. I don't think so. Yeah, because you weren't uh, you weren't the Hani Rambod name yet because you didn't have those big uh,
0: big USA wins. Yeah, where they hadn't become the pro creator yet.
1: But it's kind of funny how the guys. I, I mean, I, every year it seemed like you were turning each guy pro for a good run there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was in um, 2001. Because I remember Lonnie Teeper used to bust my balls yeah, because yeah. in t- in '99, uh, I had gotten Ray Artie ready uh, and Matt Allen ready for shows oh, yeah. and yep. those guys, and they did Lonnie's show. And he had told me he goes, "Hey, you know, because you know he's you know Lonnie, very close mutual friends of ours, and he was also emceeing the Arnold. He's emceed the Olympia before. He's emceed a ton of shows, and he was a writer for Iron Man magazine." And, um, and you guest pose at his show a lot. Every year. I yeah. still
1: actually have that appearance on the schedule for this year too. Do you really? Every year. I, I'm there for life. I that, mean, that's, that's how committed I am to Lonnie.
0: That's awesome. Because Lonnie, Lonnie's really, really been a great friend. And he was an MCU back when I was competing in my shows at the Iron Man Naturally. And um, he, he would bust my balls because he says, hey, I went to Jay's house. And I was, this is my, you know, I was getting Quincy Taylor ready in 01. And Quincy, for those that don't know, Quincy was my super heavyweight. The first time I worked with him. He uh, was getting ready for the USA in Las Vegas. And at the time there was only, uh, they had just done the top two would win the pro cards. And I was getting him ready. And then you were helping a friend of mine, Abbas Katami you know, he'd call himself the Persian missile, <laughs> which is not very politically correct nowadays. But, um, but, but Abbas who had uh, done really well at the, at the state level, he won the cow looked amazing. Probably the best he looked. 99. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 99 cow. I remember being there super impressive winning 99 and uh you were helping him and he was in Vegas, and you, you had just moved to Vegas yeah. and, uh and he was basically like Lonnie was teasing me because number one, what a lot of people don't know is I was really close with Ronnie, and you obviously you know after the 2001 uh, Olympia in September yeah. it became arch nemesis right to each other. It was a yin and yang going on, mm-hmm. and that was in September. But before that, I was getting Quincy ready in July of 2001, and you were getting Abyss ready. And then I remember him specifically, him meaning Lonnie, would really, really give me a hard time because he said, hey, I went to go see Jay and told him, hey, you're going to be the next, you know, your next guru. And he says, well, I'm no Hani Rambon. (laughs) And I'll never forget that because that, you know, I always talk about how there's certain little things that kind of get you to like step up your game and they really want you to you either kind of, it pushes you down or it helps build you up because you use it to kind of fuel your fire. And I go, oh, I'm going to show Jay. I'm going to show Jay.
1: Oh man, for me, I mean, listen, I was a top placer at that point. And uh, for you to, you know, to give you a shout out, what's that mean? I mean, I saw the potential of, you know, what greatness could become, right? So uh, yeah, he did an interview. It's kind of coincidence uh, now because Abbas and Quincy both live in Las Vegas. I just saw Quincy not long ago and Abbas did move to Las Vegas. They live there now. Yes, I just ran into Abbas last week. I saw Quincy. uh, He came to my show recently. I had a show in Las Vegas I promoted, and he came by just to show support. So, full circle. I mean, these guys are California guys now living in in Nevada. And, uh, you know, like we said, yeah, Lonnie loved to stir the pot. Totally. And, you know, you were still building your name. And, you know, really what. What prolonged, what you know, kind of just really blew you up is obviously you worked with Phil Heath from the very beginning, right? Uh, but we recognize it. I mean, we spent a holiday together. I think we spent Easter. It was Easter.
0: What year was that? Oh two. Okay. So it was so, after
1: I won the Arnold.
0: Okay. So what happened was you would turn around and said, I'm no honey. And I was like, I'm gonna show Jay, right? Because yeah. that's what he came to me. And this is before the 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 show started. Yeah. And then I saw you during check-ins and you were with Abbas and I was with Quincy. Yeah. And then you're like the Jay, you know, and you just kinda look and you're like, So how does he look? You yeah. know? And and Jay Jay's always very stoic, right? You know, you've always just always yeah. like it's hard to read because you got the Boston.
1: I read things. I read with my I don't say a lot, right?
0: Right, right. Absolutely. So what you do is you look at things and you your process, right? But you don't outwardly discuss things. Yeah. So then you said, How's he look? And I was like, good. You want to look at him? And he's like, sure. So we took Quincy and we went into the restroom at the event hotel that where they were doing the, um, check-ins check-ins and uh, it was Alexis park. I'll never forget. It was the Alexis park hotel. Yeah. And, uh, right next to the hard rock cafe across the street. And I remember it was like 113 degrees that year. Um, because you know, July in, in Vegas, it gets super hot anyways, but it was one of the hottest summers and you looked at him and what I say, and you're like, you kept looking at me, and then you just kept look. You looked at him and looked at me, and you kind of shake your head. And anybody that knows you knows the look I'm yeah. talking about right now. So if you're listening to this on the podcast and you're not watching the YouTube video, it just Jay just looks. You just, I said. So what do you think? And you just kept looking at him and looking at me, and then you I said, turn around, and then you, know, you like shows glutes and hamstrings, and he goes, he's gonna win. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that's what you said it was like the day of the you know weigh-ins and you're like he's gonna win and i said what do you think? you know you sure you know or he said something like that and he's like i think would you say you're like no one's gonna beat that dude Mm -hmm. and he was you know quincy's six three two hundred and sixty sixty five pounds and he was you know best he ever looked shredded and um he won he won the class and he won the overall he crushed it but it was one of those things where it was like, okay, that was for the beginning of the the run I had. Right, two thousand one, I had the overall winner mm-hmm. uh, Quincy. Two thousand two was Idris Wardell, and then two thousand three, I had Mike Dragna and Chris Cook both win um, their classes in the uh, in the USA. But two thousand two is when you had just won the first Arnold, the first Arnold. And I don't know what I was doing. I think that was back when I had my day job. And then I also was meeting with some people uh, that was training in Southern California. And um, we ended up having breakfast. um, Yeah, brunch. uh, Brunch together. But that was right after 01. And in 01, something, that's when you hit. Mm -hmm. That's when you hit the big time. Because you're obviously, your first Olympia, you didn't do very well.
1: No, it was 15th,
0: yeah. Yeah, 15th at the Olympia. And, um, starting out, it was kind of like, oh, you know, he's, it was, it was a, a stutter step. And then your that, what year was that?
1: Uh, 99. hmm Then 2000, I got eighth. So I split. You like went halfway the up. Middle. Yeah. And then the unexpected and one, right. Was, uh, kind of a controversial depends on opinions, but on mm-hmm. scorecards, very controversial. Uh, second. Yep. So that that kind of solidified, uh, you know, where I was. But then, of course, the Arnold victory in 0-2 really, like, stamped, like, okay, I'm the second best bodybuilder on the planet, right? Because right. the Arnold Olympia, like, you split, okay, which, that's a 1-2 contest. So whoever wins the Arnold is usually considered one of the top two or top, you know, sometimes depending on who competes. But if if you were second at the Olympia and you go and do the Arnold and you, you keep that placing... Uh, you know, winning that show, you're kind of guaranteed to be a look going into September every year. And that's where I kind of landed. I still feel like Old 2 Arnold was my best. I know there's a lot of like, but my biggest and hardest- uh, You think that was for, better than No one I just think the package was better. It was very dominant. I feel that, yes, you know, you can look at different years, but I just had the overall size. And, you know, even if you're not in the best top condition- that size is overwhelming. I mean, let's say Ronnie 03 was unbeatable on mm-hmm. any stage, even though people question, was it 98 is best? Or, mm-hmm. you know, and then they say 01 or 09 was my best. But I think the best combination with, you know, dominance, I think that was, I was 273 at that contest. Yeah. Which yeah. is big for my height, right? Yep. And I felt like I was in good, I you know, I, I had, was hard from behind the back was, wasn't as hard, but... You know, the overall size and balance was there.
0: Well, let's go back to 01. So it, just so let the listeners know, in 01, Ronnie and I were very, very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was training Alty and his girlfriend at the time. And Ronnie and I were very close. So I was definitely 100% in the Ronnie camp. And uh, when Jay, when you had come over and pushed him for that placing, and I was in Ronnie's room when all of that shit went down with Ronnie having to, to drink the gallon of water and all that Chad had to tell him to do all those things mm-hmm. because Alty was trying to get a hold of Chad and he couldn't at first and then eventually did but she called me and I said you know see what Chad says but he was really not you know he he, he passed out he had passed out I I didn't honestly think that he was going to even be able to make the show cuz at that time the show wasn't 2 days it was one day it was a prejudging in the morning and then it was the finals at night and we're talking about three or four hours before prejudging. I'm in the room and, you know, he's like, he's not even getting out of bed and he's supposed to be going, going downstairs to meet up with the rest of the athletes to walk backstage and he's still in bed. And so, and again, this is a couple hours before he, they were supposed to meet and Alty's freaking out. Ronnie didn't feel well. Um, and then they finally got a whole chat. Chad came over and said, drink water. And then he drank um, a entire gallon of water. Like he drank a shot glass, like he drank the whole thing. And obviously he was holding water mm-hmm. right after that. And then he dropped water at night, but I knew that it was going to be problematic when I saw it, but it wasn't, you know, that wasn't my ship to drive. That was Chad and, and and Ronnie working together. And I was just kind of on the sideline, just watching things. Cause it was like one of those things I'm like, wow, it's going to lose. And obviously it was a battle. It was, a, you know, it was very, very close. I know, I think you were ahead in the morning, right?
1: Yeah, six points.
0: Yeah. And then you lost by how much by night?
1: Nine, I think.
0: So it was three-point difference yeah. total? Okay. Yeah, and it was one of those things that it was really like, I mean, and then his body changed, and then obviously it was controversial. You know, a lot of people uh, thought that you could have won, and, um, you know, obviously the Ronnie fans thought that he, he came back. But from there, it was like I remember. We we're right after that. There was a San Francisco show, and you came over and you you showed me pictures. You're like, check this out, boy. This is where I had your boy. And you would yeah, tease yeah. me, and I would be like, oh, you know. And um and and we just became closer at that point, mm-hmm. you know. But it was cool because and then obviously the following year, um I was down south, and then we ended up and you now you were li- You're living in Mission B- Viejo.
1: Yeah, Aliso
0: Viejo. Yeah, yeah. It's back when you had your vet. I think
1: it's my dream. Amazing, your your dreams and aspirations that you strive for. And, you know, when I bought my vet in 2000, you know, it's fun, kind of funny because I was on tour. Actually, I got second to Ronnie on tour. We did a European tour after 2000 Olympia where I placed eighth, Ronnie won. And uh, no one decided to go on the tour other than really him and I. So there were like three contests and I placed second at two of those shows. Uh, maybe there were only two shows. But I placed second, so I actually got to stand side-by-side side in 2000, so that's why I, I had the confidence a little more going into 01 also. But uh, they delivered my Corvette while I was overseas competing uh, to my friend's dealership, and I was so excited to come home, not only because I landed second to Ronnie, um, but I you know had my car waiting for me, and that was my dream. My only dream was actually to drive my Corvette from California to Las Vegas with the top down. It was like one of those things. I play in a journey, like the journey. Uh, Can't stop. Believing. Hits No, There's just. I used to listen to that as, when was, I was training, you know, for a lot of contests. Journey was my favorite group, and you know, I I loved the Corvette, man. It was just like the all American car. And living in Massachusetts, coming from Mass, you know, I knew moving it to California that was our dream. You know, to drive around. I never. I kept my top down. I I parked at my garage. Never put the top up. That was my car because I had a secondary vehicle, and I remember going to the gym every day for the with that vet and feeling like, okay, I'm accomplished. You know, I made it, which is crazy, right?
0: Yeah, that's and now you have a Rolls Royce, a yeah. Lamborghini, a yeah. freaking G Wagon. Crazy, uh, yeah. How far you come, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, it's 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 funny because then you have a sense of hunger, and we'll talk a little bit about that. That that very very few people, if anybody, have ever met has in any industry let alone bodybuilding but i think that when you then went through to fast forward to our history then a couple years later you met a guy named phil heath and what did you think of phil when you first met him because you met him before i did
1: yeah i mean i was guest posing in denver i told the story a million times but you know he was standing backstage and you know i was a guest poser and you see bodies right i mean we had been around it enough by that point i had seen some of the great pros. And uh, he was standing over there and I saw the crazy arms and the, the insertions, right? And I said, Who's that guy? And they said, Oh, he's a local local guy. I think I asked Jeff Taylor because Jeff Taylor was the chairperson that brought me out there. It was in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, somehow I just I went up and said, You look good. What are you doing? You know, and Phil's very talkative, right? He's <laughs> yeah. very friendly. And uh, I said, Man, you know, you know, you, you have a lot of potential and whatever. And I think he said, oh, I wanted to do a show, but I just didn't have the money or something. He was a trainer at Bally's or something at the time. Somehow we can, we, you know, I guest posed. And that night we end up eating at Cheesecake Factory right there in downtown Boulder. And, uh, you know, we got to strike with conversation. And I remember walking away and thinking, wow, this guy's, he's intelligent, right? And he, I think he has a head because I always, I always looked at people's physiques, but I also had to read the person and their drive and what they're about with their with their vision, right? And sometimes you can get that gist when you talk to people, like what their goals are. And I just was impressed by that with him. I think he kind of had that mindset, which is very important for bodybuilding. And I walked away from that and I said, hey, let's, we exchanged numbers. And I mean, I remember Sunday, I reached out to Peter McGuff at Flex Muscle and Fitness at the time. And I said, hey, man, I just found the next Mr. Olympia.
0: Did you actually say that? Yeah. Wow. You thought he was that good then?
1: Yeah. And I, and Peter had him signed on Monday to the books and he had money to compete. And I think that's when you guys linked up. But it's funny. I called Chris Aceto too. And I'm like, hey, I found the next Mr. Olympian. I sent him pictures and he goes, no, he didn't think so. (laughs) He didn't think so. No, he didn't think so. And uh, so I felt pretty solid when eventually Phil came up and made it. Although I always mention, I didn't expect him to come so fast. right? Right. Like, and take me out. Uh, but it was, I was impressed with Phil's body, but I was more impressed with his mind and the person he was. And that's why I knew he, there was a lot of great things that Phil Heath would give to the bodybuilding world in the future. And, you know, I believed that he'd had the body to win
0: the well, biggest. I think, I think the crazy thing about it is that, you know, do you have those, that picture, you know, and you were probably one of your biggest. And he was just starting out.
1: Yeah, I think that was the... I think that I had met him prior because he competed or something. Yes. So this was after that picture, which I didn't even realize that picture even was... He's like, oh, I had met you, but we never conversed, right? Right, it was just a picture. Yeah, it was just a picture. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm sure we can find the picture and post it up. But it's one of the things that um, I was impressed with because when I met Phil, it was basically when he was hitting the stage as an amateur trying to turn pro, because I had some people on the show in 2005 and he was doing the USA. And at that point, um, I knew that he, you know, had some friends that were helping him and some people said, Hey, you know, that guy that, you know, what do you think of him? I said, I think he's really, really good. I think that, um, it's one of those things where see how far he goes, but you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm a person who always says there's so many people, you know, the Richard Joneses of the world who, mm-hmm. who was from your neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. And I would always ask you go, Hey, what do you think of that person? He's got some amazing genetics. And Richard Jones was a guy that was like a version two of Sean Ray. And he peaked once. And I think it was when he turned pro and that was pretty much it. And then obviously some things didn't work out for him, but, and you told me, you said that guys looked like that for a long time. He comes from, I think, Massachusetts mm-hmm. and, um, and it was all about the mindset and that's when i started realizing more and more how much it's about the mindset because so many people have genetics especially at the top but what you do with the genetics and how you go about you know whether you train or you self-sabotage and you hear the stories of flex wheeler and how he self-sabotaged and hid you know burger wrappers under his seat and you know he himself told me stories and all of these things and i think branch comes to mind that uh, you know i did an interview with and obviously I, I i know you personally so well now and us working together and you didn't have the best genetics in terms of like hey having the small flex wheeler waste or even having the phil heath genetics but you made up for it with a ton of hard work and i think that's where you know you guys really really excelled where others rested so much on their genetics and then they never really came to fruition. And I think that what's amazing is that that's carried over to even your business and all of the other things because you were always hungry. You always were re- ready to get on a plane and hustle and all of the things that you do, even up till now. I mean, you, you know, we joke about this because you told me 10 years ago, you were going to de- yeah, be yeah. done with this shit. You're like, I'm never going to do this anymore. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. And you still, you know, you were at a trade show a couple of weeks ago. I think you went to Utah and, you know, even the pandemic is starting to wane off, but it's not completely gone yet, but you're still willing to go out and meet fans and everything else. But that comes from your work ethic. And as I saw you grow and I was working with Jay, uh, the time, um, our my thing was i've I've always admired your hard work because whatever you just try to do whatever you could to cross your t's and dot your i's and you're working with chris Mm -hmm. chris cito who you know as i was coming up he was always like one of the top him and chad were always the top guys and I, i felt like you really did everything you possibly could to be able to really maximize your genetics um you would go in late at night you'd go in early you would eat more you would train harder you train longer um m- my question for you is like did you when did you start to realize was it just when you took second at that olympia was it then when you realized that you could win or what was that did did that did that trigger you at that point because before that you said hey look i, I wasn't really sure i was going to win the olympia
1: yeah it's kind of funny and it's it's a little lengthy story so i mentioned you know i, I finished 15th the first year the second year i got eighth right and i went on that tour and Chris Aceto was my biggest, remember we worked together since I was 6 months into training, 18. You right. know, I was 18 and a half when I started working with Chris. It was literally 6 months because he lived 2 hours from me, so I would have a lot of time with him. And At the time he wasn't working with a lot of people. He was working with, you know, his wife at the time. He helped Mike Francois. Mm-hmm. Um, he had helped Paul DeMay a little bit but he didn't work with anyone that was currently on the circuit really competing I mean Paul had kind of tapered off and Mike had gotten sick right Uh, so he was like listen you know when I stood next to Coleman on these European tours he's like listen you can beat this guy I'm certain because I was really sharp compared to what I looked like at the Olympia week prior you know i had dropped about 12 more pounds and you know although i was floating in the 40s you know ronnie wasn't 270 or 260 whatever he ended up being later mm-hmm. right? he wasn't huge yeah, yet he was yet. huge in sense but not weight wise i think he won his first olympia at 248 and i mean he wasn't pushing like that big weight yet so i was able to be compared and and listen i didn't I wasn't ready to beat him yet. But what I did is, you know, he, Chris said, listen, take the full year in 2001. Mm-hmm. And I want you to train and I want you to eat. And I want you to eat not on that strict, strict diet. I want you to have your burgers mm-hmm. and fries, which I did every single day, I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Every single day in the off season, I had my frozen yogurt, I had my good meals, and then I would eat one bad meal a day. And that's the only way I could get my body weight big enough and not be super lean, because my, my body had a great tendency to stay pretty lean and I was able to gather some more roundness to my physique and I didn't do the cardio in the off season he said no cardio just lift weights I did twice a day workout so I was shuttling the food a little easier it always worked best for me and I went into 2001 with the mindset like people asked me how are you going to do and I said I'm going to win and when I was about three weeks out I started shooting pictures with Alex Ardente and um
0: Chris Lund and the guys.
1: Yeah, like all the guys, and they're like, holy shit, you know, you're you're going to do really well this year. And they, people are like, oh, you'll be top five. And next thing you know, I mean, when I showed up the show, that gave me a lot of confidence. Yeah. And, you know, when I came out there, the luck of the draw, I drew number one and two numbers with Ronnie. So as you know, when they brought out our numbers, we stood next to each other. Yep. And of course, Ronnie being not on point, right. I was able to- to really um overshadow him in the front poses. Let's be honest, Ronnie was always dominant from the back, but you know, the front was what they were looking at most of the time. So when I stood in that lineup and you saw the midsection, mm-hmm. you know, if you asked me that was the best front package I ever had. Mm-hmm. It was just aesthetic, right? and still muscular. Right. Uh the shoulder width was crazy. Mm-hmm. The tan was perfect. Yep. And I was standing next to the best bodybuilder in the planet at the time. Right you know, for three years. So it, the stars aligned, and that's landed second there, and I truly knew at that point when I got second at the Mr. Olympia that I could possibly win. Okay, I did expect it to be sooner than what had happened, though.
0: Well, at that point, going on to the, your history in the Olympia, you ended up taking it like a year off, and I think you probably regretted that. Because that was the year Kevin had come in, and Ronnie wasn't at his best. And Ronnie still won, but you know that was Maybe like a smaller, ni- yeah, It yep, was yep, it was like a ninety percent Ronnie. And um, and then when you took that two thousand two off, you came back at two thousand three, and then you kind of went up against you know the Hulk version of Ronnie, which he came in arguably be one of his biggest.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny because I'm going to talk, you went, I'm going to go back to the mental aspect. I, I feel that 2001 defeated Ronnie Coleman mentally. Mm-hmm. Okay. We we know Ronnie's mind is crazy strong, right? right? But when he had a go around that till that, you know, till he had the chance to stand on stage again, there was always that whispers of like, oh, you know, it was close. Jay Cutler maybe should have won. Right. Because right. you had your believers that, yes. that followed it. Right. And I believe that it, I defeated him. Like that was mm-hmm. like a punch to Ronnie. Mm-hmm. And he's he didn't know what to come in like in 2002. Right. And that's why he came in small. He's like, you know, I'm just going to go back down to 248 like I was when I won my first in 98. And I'm going to be ripped. And right. that's when you learn like you can't just go backwards after you gain muscle and it just doesn't look the same. Right. right. We all progress. And I feel like I kind of defeated him a little bit on, and I did not, I sat out for various reasons, but the main reason was I moved to Vegas, you know, I built mm-hmm. a new house. Yep. I was in the middle of built, like people were in and out of my place all the time. And I just went and won the Arnold, in know, And I'm like, you know what, for me, I'd rather do the guest appearances and, and get my name out there a little more. Uh, the Olympia wasn't really uh, after 2001 and losing when the, I was ahead, I was like, you know what, am I really going to win this thing? I, I think I had a little chip on my shoulder, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Uh, you did hundred percent. I remember. Yeah. And, I, we was had a, talked and I was a little
1: disgruntled. Yeah. And uh, you know, do I regret it? I don't know. You know, I, 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 I look back and I had an amazing career and I don't want to get too far ahead, but you know, second place is built a huge fan base for me, right? The underdogs always pushed. Yeah. But you know, Ronnie, I, I still think Kevin, I don't think Kevin deserved to win and note in, in Two thousand two, I think his legs were a little downsized already by then, and Ronnie was pretty deserving, you know.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and I think I think they chased it because again, I think what happened also with that two thousand one situation is that Ronnie did the Arnold in two thousand one, yeah, and then he came in and he did the Olympia, and obviously it's really tough to double peak. That's why as as a standing body, yes, especially a big body, right, right. It's definitely much easier for someone like Hottie because he's just not you know two hundred and fifty some odd pounds or whatever.
1: Yeah, so two thousand two, Ronnie, you know, you know, obviously won. It was questionable, right? Mm-hmm. And then Gunter beats him two weeks later, whatever at the GNC. Show of strength. Yes, he was. So either he rolled up and said, "You know what? I'm just not getting better," or he comes back and fights. Right. And that, that's exactly what happened in '03. So Ronnie got really pissed. Really pissed. And. And we all, I I expected to win in 03 coming back. I had been on a hot streak. I won the Arnold again. Mm -hmm. Gunter was flying high. He took the year off after beating him at the show of strength thinking he was going to come win. And uh, that's probably the biggest highlighted year of the Mr. Olympia of all time. Right. Because it was like, question mark, okay, we have three potential big winners, right? Not to really tell say Kevin Leverone didn't have a shot either, but at the same time, you had three. Major powerhouse, com- big yes. dudes, right? Yep, and uh, you know, Ronnie came in and just swept the floor with us all.
0: Yeah, I remember we were at the dinner afterwards, and I was like, Hey, man, you good? And you looked at me, and then you looked at him, and he'd you know just put on a suit because he'd always put on a suit afterwards for the d- victory dinner, and then you just turn around and you looked at me, and you go, What the fuck was that? Yeah. And because, yeah, like I said, nobody expected him to to, to step yeah, in.
1: Listen, I shot with Ronnie. Th- I think we shot 8 or 10 weeks out we f- did the whole flex and we were fighting over the sand dial. Yeah. And he was big, but you know we I had seen Ronnie in the off season. Right. I was like, okay, he's always big. But whatever he did the last 10 weeks and maintained all that size and got, like got bigger and leaner at the same time was pretty incredible. Yeah. You know, that physique when, when people say who's the greatest, like that physique just I don't care how ripped someone is and right. comparable. There's no one's going to be that big and that hard. Um, ever.
0: Well, a little secret to that year was that was the year that I was working with Alty and I got her to get a step mill for the house, um, at Ronnie's house. And Ronnie started using the step mill instead of a treadmill. Yep. And that's because he liked it because he tried it because I had her using it. And then, so he ended up buying two because he had wanted to do it with her. And so that really helped him bring his glutes in at, um, I, I feel, um, at a, at a heavier weight, but it, that was the, the year that they brought the step mill in the house because I had her using it for her prep. And so I think that definitely helped a bit with just overall conditioning. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously you know not to take away anything away from chad and all them they did a great job but i think that that step mill just even that one or two percent also helped out because he had that back shot where i think it was the md cover you're <laughs> rolling your eyes yeah, yeah it's like crazy when he just went back and he just hit like
1: hanging gl- hanging like where that's body fat on people that was his muscles hanging yes off the-
0: yes that and i think that just like solidified it just because the glutes were so hard at that heavier weight and then his back looked like slabs of fat Mm -hmm. until he flexed it and then it was australia so they did a great job so obviously kudos to them and the team um for what he did because he really was angry i mean that's why i think the cost of redemption that video he did was all that and then um and then but you didn't give up that was the thing you didn't give up you went in and you said i'm gonna do this again and then you had 2004 you had 2005 and then by then again Phil and I started working together and started his pro debut in 2006. And that was at the Denver show. And you had just come off of a victory first time beating Ronnie right at that point. And, you know, the first Olympia, tell me how that felt, because obviously it was very, very like, dude, you were grinding for so long. Um, Did you feel... I guess a, a sense of relief, a, a accomplishment, or how was it? Because you, it, it took it took a while. What? How did that feel at that point?
1: Uh, it was a relief, but it was expected, right? I, I mean, I I was pretty certain I was going to win in 06 because I had been, I felt close enough. I mean, I had put on bigger size for 04 just not hard enough. And then, you know, Ronnie was getting bigger, but he was losing condition too. So I felt like we were evening off a little bit. And then in 05, we both downsized a little bit. And I felt like I, my physique was, you know, still a little, a little sharper in certain areas where Ronnie was starting to lose that edge a little bit. And then obviously, you know, I just went into 06, like guns blazing and just said, I'm going to just go pound for pound with this guy and i think it was one of my biggest body weights i think it was about 273 there. It was 267 the night i won because mm-hmm. it was kind of fr- it was cool, f- funny that was the first olympia i didn't use a diuretic mm-hmm. you know and uh for me at you know i think what year was that six
0: oh6 so the first year you won
1: first year i won and uh you know for me I, I mean that's always been you know working with me water was always a an issue with me right and I was able to be sharp enough, and I felt amazing, right? So I could go out there and really showcase. And I was big and full and just hard, right? I wasn't ripped, but I was I was just good enough. And uh, I, I was happy, but at the same time, I was kind of sad. Because Ronnie, I mean, this was going for number nine. It yep. was like record-breaking, right? Right. So I, I remember winning, and when they announced Jay Cutler, thinking, and I knew I was going to win anyway. Mm-hmm um how'd you know i just got the vibe okay. i mean you could just sense it you know and uh when they announced me you know i was like okay i i don't how am i going to handle this where every year ronnie fell on the floor and i was standing there as number two by myself i said i'm going to make sure i raise his hand and that the time i won mm-hmm. you know i i went to go and then gustavo badel jumped on me if you look at the video and then i made sure i raised ronnie's hand like man i appreciate because he was my idol right mm-hmm. i mean I talk about this all the time. I mean, he called, one, called me when I won my first pro show Night of Champions. And if it wasn't for Ronnie Coleman, I never would have been as great as I was. Absolutely. Because he pushed me and gave me something to achieve, um, being as great as he Yeah, was. you guys pushed each other. Yeah. So I, I respectfully, respectfully won, but at the same time, uh, I was like, it didn't hit me for weeks after because I just won the damn Olympia. Like that's your lifeline goal. When you start at eighteen, like you look at who Mr. Olympia was, Lee Haney was winning then, nineteen ninety one. Then of course Doran Yates took over, so I admired him a lot. And then eventually, uh, you have that like, Oh man, that would be amazing. And here I was, the you know, kid from Massachusetts, six thousand people in my town, Sterling Mass, and you know, no one in my family lift weights and lot of things cross your mind and here i was the best bodybuilder in the world on the stage in las vegas absolutely amazing
0: yeah i think um just again i was there uh, you know i've been to the olympia the last 25 years or however many years it is and you just ronnie knew right he knew whether he heard or, or he felt a thing you could just tell like you watch
1: the video and he's just like looking down he's just kind of got he said hands. to me you won you beat me yeah. someone told him backstage before the announcement yeah
0: that's what he did. that's what he told me later after right after the show and um it it's funny because again ronnie and i were very 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 close and It was one of those things where it was just like absolutely devastating, right? It was just kind of like, you know, he was going for that big, big win and trying to beat the record. And so, um, but, but you're right, his body did start getting a little bit deteriorating a little bit towards the end. And obviously he was getting some, some of that atrophy uh, through the one arm tricep and and, the lat and whatnot. But I think um, at that point, you know, it's also um, one of those things where, now you have to turn around and step up your game, knowing that the person that you was—and that's hard to do.
1: Well, Ronnie Coleman, you know, right? It's 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 achievable unless you, Ronnie Coleman was the guy before you, in my opinion. Do so. you think
0: because because he was so good that's kind of why you had kind of like that stutter, like right after that 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 following year in 07, you weren't as good?
1: No, I actually had an infection. So that's oh, what okay. hindered me. I mean, I felt like, you know, I knew in 07. I mean, I tried to come in as big in 07, which I think was another mistake because Ronnie wasn't there anymore. I wasn't battling guys like that. So between that mistiming, but I did have a shoulder infection that that did affect me a lot. And it it wasn't the best look for me. And right. obviously that was the hardest Olympia I've ever faced in my life, um, posing wise. And, you know, the aftermath of, Victor Martinez, you know, almost winning that contest from me. Uh, but, you know, looking still, I mean, I still, and people may call me crazy. I still felt that I, I, I mean, Victor's never been a hundred percent. And I think, uh, you know, but I did, did lose. I had a hard time figuring out who I was at that Olympia without the Coleman battles. Like, you know, that kind of died. That was a new era, right? Right. Right. So I didn't really have any competition that I eyed because it seemed like it was flip-flopping every year after that, who was going to be second or third. Gustavo came up and, you know, then it was, you know, Gunther was still there. And, I mean, it was just always someone new that was going to be the threat to Dexter Jackson. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Phil. Right, right.
0: But you th- you never thought Phil was going to come out that fast is what you thought?
1: No, I mean, I, I, mean, this, I remember sitting around in 06 thinking, oh, this is the future, but the future when I'm gone. The next thing you know, I mean, I hung out a lot longer than I expected to. Right. It's partly your fault, I think. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really contemplated retiring after 2008 when I lost to Dexter. And Yeah,
0: that's a That, that whole thing. So, you know, you fast forward from the 2007 and you went into 2008. Um, obviously, you weren't at your best in 2007. You were holding some water due to your shoulder mm-hmm. infection you just mentioned. And um, I know a lot of people were just like, man, I don't know if Jay should have won. It could have been this, that. It's a lot of negativity. It affected me. It affected you, huh?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, in 08, look how I came in. I was questioning, okay, how do I need to come in? Right. You know, I was kind of at that crossroad, like, okay, I don't need to be big anymore, but I need to be ripped. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it was just, it was tough. It was tough. I mean, trying to figure out your identity, right? And then I lost to Dexter, which did I you never did you think expected. you were going
0: to lose going into it? No. In 08,
1: I actually like took my clothes off backstage and people around me were like, "Damn, he looks so good," you know? huh And I don't know what happened between the time I took my clothes off in the posing room and like in the changing room to mm-hmm. when I got on stage. I don't know if it was nerves or you know, whatever. I mean, I I attribute it I was eating some some rice leading up to that show and it was like from a restaurant. And I have a feeling it was loaded with salt and of course, you know, we know how body reacts and you would especially know and working with me you know i I just think it was just temporary fullness you know i was flat and then i i think i was more flat and i got pumped up temporary fullness and then once i got on stage i was just deflated and watery and just looked like shit you know right and dexter won now i never questioned he deserved to win you know but i always said like i gave the title to him right i walked away and then i was backstage like damn like what do i do and you know, then you take over where that kind of went, because, you know, we touch base within a month or two after that contest.
0: Well, yeah. So for those of you that don't know, in 08, that was Phil's pro debut. And by that time, I had uh, worked with Phil for the 2006 shows, the uh, 2007 shows, and then 2008. And I sat Phil out of the Olympias, even though he was qualified, because I wanted him to take a little more time and grow. And I've always been a person who is an advocate of picking and choosing your battles and not over-competing and letting your body be able to, my old saying is just don't be in such a rush to get your ass beat. And that's why I didn't put him in the Olympias right away. Um, so the first time I did, it was basically in, in a great top three finish with you and Dexter in his first Olympia. And now instead of me feeling part of the Ronnie Coleman camp and, Mm. and all the success that they had, um, I was able to finally be able to bring one of my own in, in the mix. And again, I had, you know, some really good people that were amateurs that turned pro. And then I had some pros that were becoming, um, really good Olympia, uh, you know, possible Olympia quality. And then having Phil go into the top three, it, it really put him going, wow, you know, the gift is really now starting to be a threat. And I felt just elated by Phil being top three. But then I saw you backstage and, and, and I hate to use the word broken, but you were, you were definitely just shattered, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like you were just, I mean, devastated because you just won twice and you're just like, holy shit. And I, I, you know, you're going through a lot. And, and even though I was never in your camp up until that point, it was one of those things that I really felt really bad for you Mm -hmm. because i just felt like holy shit this guy just took his whole life and chased the best bodybuilder on the planet ronnie coleman in the history of the planet and the history of the sport and now you know he he had a tough run you know you 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 beat uh, you beat him you beat ronnie then the second year you it was like this questionable win um and then you go in and you lose to dex and i'm sure nobody saw that coming you know, and Dex looked great. So nothing to take anything away from De- Dexter Jackson is a legend. And it's great. But but just seeing you backstage and you were just down and you didn't really, and again, you don't show much emotion because that's just who you are. But I could just tell the, the energy was taken away from you.
1: Yeah. You know, and I was there and, and Kerry was with me, you know, my wife at the time. And, you know, remember, we, we to reverse back a little bit, like I signed like a crazy contract with muscle tech after that victory. Like my contract did, you know, just had come to, you know, it was up in 2006. So I signed a, like a monster deal and I was booked every weekend with guest opposings and all that stuff. Those two years, like I I was the hottest guy, right. I was doing international domestic, uh, keeping busy with that sense, doing all the marketing, um, shooting DVDs, that kind of stuff. And so when I lost, it was like, i was like oh that not only was it like i lost the title that i chased for all these years and so quickly when the guy before me had won eight it was like okay well what's gonna happen with my you know my popularity what are people gonna think and you know where do i go from here is my body's not getting better What i realized my body wasn't getting better right so that's when you're really like after the show not even at backstage you're just like wow okay I'm not getting better and everyone else is improving, you know, Dexter Jackson, who I never imagined having a smaller stature guy overtake me had just beat me. And, uh, you know, Phil was on the rise and I don't know who else with Tony Freeman, I think was top five in that show.
0: When you talk to Chris, when, with that situation, what was that like? What was the conversation at that point? that later that night or the next day you know
1: i I died to bring in the night show condition from the prejudging i sat in a sauna like all day i was on my deathbed pretty much dehydrated and uh i just said this is too hard and he said you know this is just it's a struggle and he really didn't have the answer because remember i mean he flies in a couple days prior and he was with me at that show and you know we kind of do the diet together through pictures and yeah I'm always a guy that looks totally different in person than in pictures Mm -hmm. and you know he didn't really have an answer because remember it's it's, he's not training me every day and he's not living in my body right and I just he didn't really have anything to say other than hey you know we we didn't even talk about what's next I mean I didn't even get that far I just was like okay this is what had just happened and you know i just need some time to think about things you know yeah then,
0: then fast forward i think um i can't even remember like again phil we all went out um
1: yeah think, we partied that night I yeah, think.
0: yeah yeah that's so it was kind of weird because it was like
1: that's Phil's the like- kitchen we went in the kitchen i had, <laughs> I had an after party because they used to pay me to do these after parties so we were at prive which is in planet Hollywood. And, you know, we had this big party there and I remember like not wanting to be around that many people. So instead of the big booth in the back, they didn't care because my friends owned the club and they would, you know, have me come for my after party. They thought I was going to win. You know, we hung out in the kitchen in the back and, you know. They put had, a table back there. Yeah, they put a table. Yeah.
0: So we, normally guys, when you go to a club, like any club, there's a, there's booths within the club. We went through the club and I was like, where the hell are we going? And they're like, no, we're going to Jay's you know, party. I said, yeah, it's in the club. And they're like, no, it's in the kitchen.
1: Yeah.
0: And I go like, like where they cook food. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> And you got you sitting back there on the couch. Yeah. They got like a bottles next to you. You had, um, Carrie yeah. and you had, you know, your, your girlfriends and guy friends that yeah. d- from, you know, your friends around you. And there was like a stripper pole.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's a stripper pole in the kitchen. Yeah. And, um, and I was like,
1: what the Which fuck? I is going have on? no idea what I mean. <laughs> I, was like, I uh, when we when we reminisce about it, I have no idea why there was a stripper pole in the back kitchen. I don't know if it was a, like one that moved around or something, but it was the, wild. Yeah. yeah,
0: I don't know, man. It kind of looked like it belonged there. I don't know. I don't know if it was like some part of a the theme thing, but I was crazy because I look at Phil and I go, is that a stripper pole? And he's right. like, You damn right it's a stripper pole, bro. Yeah. Like I've seen a lot of those. And I was like, okay. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, you were trying to have, you know, kind of like just a, like a decent time, obviously you just lost. Yeah. But at that point, were you, what was going on in your head?
1: Uh, I was relieved, you know, after every show I was always relieved because the diets were always stressful for me. And I said, you know, I can get back to like living life a little bit. So, you know, I, I was making the best of it and I knew that, Hey, listen, I still had a lot of deals in place and you know, I, I don't know where this is heading, but even after I retired, I had all their other stuff going on. So it wasn't like, I never had the financial like scare of like, oh, how am I going to make money? It was more about like, what are people going to think? What's my legacy? Right. Cause my legacy was like really all I ever cared about. And then, uh, you know, it was like the moment was just like, okay, it's very comforting having people that care about you around you. You know, I had a lot, I had a good crew, you know, and, uh, you know, we were just celebrating like, you know, the show being over at that point.
0: Yeah. Well, at that point, then I know, I think we went to Peppermill.
1: Yeah. At like five in the morning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: it was our ritual every year. We would all go as a group and celebrate. Right. Right.
0: Right. We would just, we would go. And then I think it kind of started around that year where the, the, the Peppermill thing, because um I remember that's kind of when I remember going mm-hmm. and, um, cause I remember when R- R- Ronnie's ritual was always, he would have pizza at the room and then he'd, you know, put Dom Perignon and then he'd always want to go to McDonald's and, um, that was his deal. And then when Phil, Phil's like, Hey man, where's the party at? And let's go to, let's go to Jay's. Yeah. And then that's, that was 08 and we went to his, to your party. And then after that, we, we all went to Peppermill together and myself, you, Phil, and then,
1: you know, whole posse, the yeah. whole posse
0: with everyone's crew kind of mixed. And then at that point, then I think, I, I can't remember how it happened. You probably remember better than I do. About a month later, we talked.
1: Yeah, it was around Thanksgiving. Yeah. It was around Thanksgiving. And you just randomly, we never really spoke much on the phone. And you just reached out to me like, hey, uh, are you okay? Yeah. That's literally the conversation. And it was never, that's a funny thing about and I, we had like an hour, all our talks, like whenever, even today, like we talk on the phone it ends up being like two, three hours, yeah. right. Catching up. And cause we don't do it on a regular basis as much, but, uh, everyone texts nowadays, right. It's always a text message, but, uh, you were like, are you okay? And then I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good, whatever. But you know, I'm kind of uncertain. What do you think? You know, we kind of reminisced a little bit about what it looked like up, up there. And I think it kind of ended like, Hey, uh well, whatever you decide, just, you know, whatever, you know, I'm always here for you. And that was the extent of the conversation. And I think, you know, I sat back, I think I talked to Carrie a little bit and, you know, we kind of conversed and, you know, I kind of made the decision, like, I just don't think this thing with Chris is working as well. You know, we've been together since I was a kid and Chris and I actually had a discussion and he's like, ah, maybe you just need to try some different stuff, you know? And it wasn't like, Hey, I need to go switch a coach, but you know, when you said to me, hey, you know, and it seemed like your formulas were working, I was impressed with how Phil came in and, you know, you had your success with the USA guys and, you know, Troy Alves, I think you were working with Troy, him Bill like, Wilmore. Yeah, Bill Wilmore
0: was, yeah, he, he, 05 uh, Nationals. Month.
1: So I said, you know what? I remember reaching out to you and I said, hey, would you mind if I bounce some ideas off you? Because I'm like, listen, I'm coming back. You know, I'm going to come back and make another run at this thing. You know you qualified as mr olympia you don't have to re-qualify so i didn't have to go do an arnold or whatever else but i think we you know i i that conversation i s- solely remember is like i said to you hey uh do you mind if i bounce some things off and it was never official like hey i want to hire you as my guy mm-hmm. we kind of just and then it snowballed like we started talking almost daily and then we shot the fst Yes. I think in yes. January or, and we brought, you know, everyone came to Vegas, my, we talked about that. Hey, let's do a some training together. And, you know, we, we end up shooting, you know, the FST video because that was part of like, hey, I can help you implement this training in your, and I had not, I had trained like volume, but not anything like to that extent. And Phil and yourself and I, you know, shot the first
0: FST FST-7 video. Seven. I, think, I think the thing that I remember the most was that, now i remember exactly what you said we said hey you know can i bounce some ideas off of you and i said sure because you wanted to try some different things it was like you said it was never about yeah. yeah changing the coach thing it was just i want to try some different things yeah. and then it, it, it went down that road and then i remember it was like end of december and you said i want to come out and train with you and I, and the reason why i remember this so vividly and it was going to be the first week of january because it was my birthday And right around that time, the reason why I stopped competing was because I tore my ACL and I hadn't fixed it. And that was the year, 2009, nine years after I tore it, that I was going to actually going to fix it that week that you were supposed to come. So I said, you know, oh man, I was talking to fairness, and I said, hey, look, you know, I got this thing and she's like, well, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, this this is more important i'm just gonna move the surgery back and um this is opportunity for me to you know do something with jay it would be cool Mm -hmm. um and it was always also questionable in my head because i was so loyal to ronnie that well is this going to be like this is like cheating on my you know girlfriend type thing Mm -hmm. like what's going on but but ronnie had already left like he was already kind of like retired. yeah yeah retired at that point And then I was thinking, okay, is there going to be an issue with Phil, Mm -hmm. right? Because again, he had been just been third and you had already won, you know, two times and then you had just taken second. So, you know, second, third, is that going to be a problem? And then I think I remember reaching out to him and I don't know if you did, but I know that I did. And I,
1: you know, he actually told me you, he pushed me. You should talk to honey. You should talk to honey. You should talk to honey. But we never had an agreement, you and I. It wasn't like, "Hey, no, you're going to be my trainer for this show. Right. I'm going to pay you." Like it was like, "Hey, let's just train mm-hmm. and let's just go with it." And Phil gave me the blessing. He's like, "You know, you really should." He's really good, and I was like, "Yeah." Does he know what he's doing? You know, I of course <laughs> asked the questions, right? right, right. <laughs> and and uh, he kind of gave the blessing, like, "Yeah, you know." And then it was like we were all a team, yeah, which was probably the greatest point of my career to be be honest you know because it was you know we spent a lot of time that year several years yeah but it was like that first year was like amazing you know because we trained together a lot a lot
0: yeah so that was the first time time. we did the the training here in san jose yeah and back when it was gold and we did our first you know sessions together because i was trying to teach you what FSE 7 was about and it wasn't like you know people say it was cluster you know now that it's funny because somebody said to me about cluster training but that's a you know, or if it's uh just a high like a pump sets or this yeah, or that, yeah, and yeah. I, and it's like high intensity meets high volume, and also the food around it, and then the supplements. You know, I'm you know obviously so big on natural supplements, yeah, yeah. and and putting all of that together, and it was like that first arm workout in January, and uh,
1: yeah, you know what was crazy too is I'm gonna mention is we were sampling the EVP. Uh huh. Do you remember you were giving me? We <laughs> called it the purple powder. <laughs> And I remember thinking, like, damn, like, what is this shit? Right. <laughs> and you're like, just drink it. And to be honest, it didn't taste great at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a trial and it was just in a white mm-hmm. tub. Yeah. It was in the tubs I think you currently use. But yeah. you're like, just take it. It's going to make you full. And I, you know, I was like, damn, I'm so full. But it was the training too. Right. right. It expanded everything. Those seven sets at the end to yeah. blow up. I never had done that before. Yeah. And uh, so that's funny because Evigen was kind of born. I don't even know what it was called at that point. It
0: was Evigen, but it was like, we, I just came up with the name because yeah. um, before that I was, you know, consulting for BSN Yeah, and then I had just started, you know, Evigen right after I was finished with BSN, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do my own thing. And then I was already, you know, doing a lot of products and like, you know, little, you know. Lots of different stuff for, for my guys. Phil was my human guinea pig when yeah. it came to some of the products. And then you were like, okay, what is this going to do? You're like, you know, what what we, and you'd always say, what is this shit? Well, you know,
1: you're giving me a cocktail and <laughs> I, I didn't, I knew what I was taking most of the time. I worked with some of the better supplements. And then all of a sudden you're just mixing a drink for me in the corner <laughs> and you're like, drink this. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, am I working with a mad scientist at the same time as like, what's the protocols here? Right. Uh, but that's kicked off. I mean, we trained and then we talked about, you know, let's shoot this FST thing. And I think, you know, the kind of the rest. Yeah. But you forgot a big
0: point. The first workout, you almost threw up doing arms
1: really yeah See, i don't i don't recall those yeah, days yeah
0: yeah you almost threw up i remember and you're like bro like I, I like you know i don't train you don't, like this yeah. yeah i don't train like this but it did also in all due respect it was also several months after the olympia mm-hmm. it, so it was like the first hardcore training it was like the beginning of the year so you were just like let's go i want to do some good workouts and that's like you said that's what it was about it wasn't about me taking over you know, being your trainer, um, like your full-on coach, it was just like let's get some workouts. Yeah, no
1: tonight. one had ever trained me to that point. Chris Asito was my nutritionist, but he never structured a workout. It was like, okay, you do what you do. So I never. there was the first time anyone instructed me how to work out from the very time I started at eighteen. So that was a different an aspect of what I was, you know, doing in the past.
0: Right, and 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 you know. I wanted you to get stronger and also to be able to, like uh, my whole thing was this, a bigger muscle is a stronger muscle. Mm -hmm. And I was putting together all the philosophies around the FSC Seven method, but I also wanted to make sure that you understood what was going on. So I would always talk to you about it. Mm -hmm. And then what would happen, which was cool was that you would implement it and see the change and you're like, yeah, bro, I think this is kind of working. And you know, you're starting to get rounder, more upper chest because you're so wide, right? So it was always always like, let's really build that shelf in that upper chest. Yes, it wasn't shallow, yeah. Yeah, so it wouldn't be shallow. And then um, as we kept going, it kind of became a little bit, um, I remember we ended up doing some stuff with the FSC7 video and everything else. And I think in July I was at the, at the USA and that's when we got together. And it was at the, um, uh, Flamingo sandhill. Hill. Yes. It it was there at the gym and we trained. And then that's when you were still weren't on the fence on whether we were going to work together or not officially. And then you just came up and said, Hey, look, man, I think it's best that you just kind of take this thing Mm -hmm. and let's, let's, let's do the prep. And, um, that was kind of like at right around my USA time, but make it more kind of concrete Mm -hmm. and official at that point because I remember I was there at the USA and you came to the hotel and we were at the uh, um, the, uh, the guest hotel and then we also trained and everything else but it was one of those things where at that point it was kind of more just okay we're gonna go into the show and obviously when you went we went into it I was getting you ready and I was getting Phil ready and he just always told me, just bring him in his best, bring me in my best. And the thing about where you were at at that time too, which is really, really crazy, was that, you know, I remember Muscle Time, right? Was the big one of yes. the things website, yeah, yeah website. And um, it was like get big. It was Muscle Time. It was all those um, sites, and they had basically said that you wouldn't be in the top five. You'll be lucky to be in the top five of that show coming up mm-hmm. because of kind of your like on the way out. And you, and I, and I remember it affected you because you kept bringing it up. And then you said, like, all I know is I just got to come in, you know, you know, come in at my best. best." And that's what you said. Like, just, let's just, you know. Um, But my system was obviously very, very different because there was, it was much different than what you did with Chris, because number one, the training, and we were constantly training Mm -hmm. together. And we were training as a team, kind of like I said, I I was training you, but I was also training Phil and you guys had good camaraderie. And it'd be very different than if it was like Kai or something like that, right? Because obviously Kai doesn't have the relationship um, like with Phil and whatnot. But it was one of those things that it made it very easy for me to be able, because everyone's like, how are you working with two top guys? And I said, because they get along, you know? And so I think you guys fed off of each other. And one of the things is that you ended up um, going into that show, knowing that if you cross your T's and dot your I's, but I think the biggest thing that, you know, people ask me is how were you, how was I different? So my question for you is how was I different than what you were used to going into it for the last, you know, for the last 12 weeks. Uh, cardio
1: twice, you know, twice a day, which I never did step mill, did <laughs> step mill. I never did used it before. Right. It was too, it was too much work. Um, more food. More food than ever. The and honey switching. special? Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen. I always hate fish, but right. no protein powders. Uh, definitely no condiments, which I'd never used anyway. But you were particular about even my carbs. I was eating oatmeal in mm. the morning. We switched to grits. Yep. Um, and it was just an abundance, abundance. Of pr- it was more protein than I had, you know, handled before. Uh, so, and you know what? You rode my ass. You rode my ass, but you know what the funny thing is? You never, when muscle time had that, oh, Jay's not in the top five. And I said, honey, what do you think? You would never said to me, you're going to win, or you're going to be top two, or you're going to be top. Like you never, it was, there was that kind of uncertainty because you knew that I could come in at my best, but where are the judges going to put me? Right. Yep. Uh, there was always that question, and I've noticed that even with the people you work with today, I always ask about your people, how do you think he's gonna do? and you're never like you never told me Phil he's gonna smoke everyone right. and I don't know what your discussions inside your circle is with him. she would tell
0: you something I don't but I just be honest I know. She,
1: it's like like you were you were uncertain, yeah, and right. you made sure that you weren't you know riding the dick like, hey you're going to win this, you know.
0: Yeah, because I didn't want you And I was ever. surrounded
1: by that for my a lot of my career from the rise of second, like a lot of people around me, like you're going to win, you're going to win, you're going to win. So it was kind of nice to go into that show. It gave me more drive and focus and determination to be better because, you know, you weren't like guaranteeing me anything because we didn't know what the body was going to unfold like. We both never realized. And, you know, I remember being in the hotel before I head to prejudging. And I remember Farina's took a picture on her phone. And I don't know what I looked like, you know. And she goes, when she took the picture, she goes, holy shit. And when you showed me the picture, I mean, I never saw my body in that kind of condition from the backside, right? That's where I always was. A loser in a lot of the competitions. And when she said that, that's when I said, I'm gonna win the show. I knew right then.
0: Yeah, you looked at the picture and you said to me, Who's that? Yeah. You literally didn't know it was you. Yeah. It was it was a back shot and yeah uh, your Christmas tree, your glute hamstring tie-in and everything else. Crazy, was, yeah. Yeah, it was just insane. And you were like, Who's that? And that was, that was the thing. And then you were also concerned because you knew that Phil had gotten sick Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, you know, and I was dealing with Phil getting sick, throwing up all night and then making sure to try to get him balanced back out and then being able to also try to bring you in your best. And so I was going back and forth between that. And so it was very, very difficult for me because it was, it was just one of those things that it was well if you remember
1: phil was actually hyped to probably be the front runner him and dexter were gonna beat me yes right so that was your star really you know according to everyone else like you know we ripped the cover remember the Mm -hmm. uh flex cover ended up being me ripping the two guys where the i mean even flex turned against me you know alan donnelly and like they weren't Mm -hmm. confident i was going to come back and I had a chip on my shoulder about that. I mean, I lost support of everyone. You know, when you talk about someone's downside and, you know, people not believing in you, I was the victim of that. You know, everyone gave up on me except, you know, some of my sponsors and the people that were close to me that saw the progression over the time, you know, Kevin Horton shot me three weeks out. He said, dude, no one's beaten this, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those, those black and white shots are, yeah. are absolutely epic. Um, and, I think that it, it was, it, you know, you started to build your confidence as we got closer, mm-hmm. as we got closer. And, um, you know, cause I, I would, I would get you to send me pictures twice a day.
1: Yeah. Like, it was very frustrating.
0: Yeah. Because you were just, you weren't used to it.
1: Yeah. No one ever rode me like that before. Like Zorro. Mm-hmm. But it worked. It worked. I mean, I walked out on that stage that night and I mean, I knew right then, as soon as I took the step up, I said, it's over, you know. I remember being backstage and Tamer and Tarek looking at me and just in awe, like when I took my clothes off and, you know, I was getting oiled up and everyone's like, holy, you know, this isn't the same guy. It's pretty good. It's a highlight of my career.
0: Yeah. It was, uh, remember Dan seeing you backstage?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was one of those things because, you know, you always look good from the front. Yeah. And they're like, you just you always how's he look from behind? It's like, show him. Yeah, you know, and you turned around and you just hit it, and he just Dan just was like holy shit, this is going to be. Crazy. Yeah, he was
1: commentating the show that at that point, you know, yeah. how he runs it, but
0: yep, how he runs the Olympia, but yeah, you're right, you're right. He was comment- commentating that year, and it's um, it was it was crazy because it was it was kind of like just that little preview of like what you're about to look like in a few mm-hmm. minutes because it was backstage, and one of the things is when you got up on stage we're going to talk a little bit about the foot stomp and how that came to fruition, because it, when you came out there, you had a really good idea. You had the new hair. That was the new hairstyle. Yeah. And then you, um, you're like, I got, I got my stylist that's working on my hair. <laughs> 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 and then so I see this hair and at first I was like, I'll be honest with you, man. I'm used to the J slicked back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That was at that point, that was kind of, you're known for that. And I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I'm gonna like this, right? Like, this is like different. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not used to Jay with the spiky hair, and um, and your c- color was great. The color looks awesome, oh, 09. And um, you're like, you know, and then you were sending me pictures, um, from the, from from the house. I think Dave Brule was taking the photos, mm-hmm. and then you know, as we were carving up, and you were uh, drying out. And everything started coming together and i just you know i kept saying hey look you know i think we can get a little deeper here in, in terms of separation because i always always look at your midsection and mm-hmm. i would always say you know like looking at photos and kind of studying your physique through the years i always knew that there were certain body parts like having certain um separation through your ab- abdomen and your abdominals where I knew that, you know, at some point it starts to suck in. And then I kept saying, Hey, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you're like, No, we can go a little more. We can mm-hmm. go a little more. And then, um and then obviously, you know, the eating, um, you know, the honey special that we joke about, but it was uh it was a lot of food during the carb up. Yeah,
1: and it was fats for the first time. You know, I added like almond butter and avocado, which I never, ever in my diet ever mm-hmm. had. And that alleviated uh, you know, the carb intake because, you know, I would you know be able to eat a thousand grams of carbs and burn through the body mm-hmm. so we needed something to slow that metabolism because my i have a fast metabolism i eat a lot even on a contest diet and uh you know we were able to dial it down and i ended up the lightest body weight i had been in years 254 i think is what the yep. weight ended up being where we kind of fell the last weight i weighed myself and uh you know that was it history was made and i came out on stage and
0: Tell me about that. Tell me about when you're getting on stage, because when you were about walking on there, I mean, I know you, you mentioned it to me before, but just for, for, for the listeners, that was a very exciting point point because everybody was just waiting mm-hmm. literally on the edge of their seats. And I mean, I, you know, the, the flashes and everything else because i remember hearing gasps Mm -hmm. in the audience did you hear any of that
1: yeah i knew because i had like people i was still my hometown right Right. so i think the the the, it was some rumblings jay looks good you know leading up and whatever else and you know i came out there and the confidence was high you know new hairstyle all that stuff and you know the color was good and i just walked out on stage i remember just you know, you hear that first reaction. And when I stood and I, you know, stood in the box, there's a box on stage where they tape it off. And I stood there and did the front relaxed. I locked in and the crowd went bananas. And I said, okay, this is this is my time, right? And then I went through the transitions, you know, and did the poses and, you know, ended up with, uh, before I did the, the the ab and thigh, which was the last pose at the time, the most muscular didn't exist. Uh, I looked down at my leg, you know, and I was like, you know, let me see what kind of striations I have because, you know, I always had in my left leg crazy striations on the outer head. I looked down at the leg and, you know, I I flexed the leg and I looked at the audience like, okay, here it is, and they went crazy and then I hit the ebb and thigh, but I never realized when I locked that leg and I kind of looked down and as I looked down, it was never a pose. That was, was this is the famous quad stomp. I actually never really tightened. I just kind of was like when I put my head down, my abs kind of flexed a little bit just to be able to hit the leg and Perbinel and the rest of the crew locked that pitcher in, and it sits uh, one of the most memorable bodybuilding pitchers of all time.
0: Yeah, it's the a- stomp
1: was born. Yeah, I dropped the heel and hit the stage, and there was a there was like a thud. a thud, you know. Yep. And uh, next thing you know, here we are, you know, it's victory again. You know, it felt great.
0: Yeah, it was, it was cool. Cause when you won that night, um, it was all that hard work, everything else. And there's so much buildup and so much pressure. And then the coolest thing that I realized that night, and I didn't realize it um, at the time, but looking back at it is that you always had to split your fan base with Ronnie. And then obviously the whole thing and you know that's the second win then not you know losing to dexter so it was even when you won the times you won it wasn't a, a clear-cut like straight firsts mm-hmm. uh i don't even know prior like, to that yeah. prior to that and then and then that year not only did you get straight first but you what was cool was that fact that everybody was just like holy shit!" it was kind of like there was no question there was nobody else next to you that was even, quite you know what i mean like it was um besides branch which you know nothing to take away anything away from branch because he looked great and he looked amazing he thought he should have won no.
1: did he yeah, I yeah. Think so,
0: yeah. Oh, okay <laughs> but, yeah you know i mean branch he he, he still to so this day says shit if you didn't work with jay i would have won i would have mm-hmm. been mr olympia and uh, you know t- probably the case but i do think that at the end of the day the cool thing was that it was unanimous in terms of the eyes of the fans the fans were just so so supportive. And it was just like this overwhelming tidal wave of just fan support and sentiment. And it was like so much positivity that I've never seen because, you know, they would give you a hard time. I remember people go, yo, you're working with a refrigerator. You're doing this. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to, you know what I mean? And and for me, I just block all that stupid shit out. But it was one of those things where I'm like, I never really realized there was so much kind of like hate, you know, because it's like. In bodybuilding, they love you, then they hate you, then they love you again, and that's kind of what happened. But it became s- even so much more monumental because when you won, it was like everybody was just like uh, people that d- even didn't quote unquote weren't your fans before. It, you know, l- they are like holy shit. We Man, had no respect. choice, yeah. They had no. It choice. was the
1: only convinced like the, the no question Mr. Olympia title I won out of the four. Right. Right. That was like there was no like if and or buts about it. Right. And, uh, you know, that was a great feeling. It was the first time I felt it. But, you know, the question was, what's next? How do you beat that? Yeah. And I think you and I sat back after the show and- you
0: Well, know, you texted me like a hundred times. Yes. I think I still have those text messages. Like every 10 minutes you were texting me like, I yeah. can't believe it. Yeah. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it.
1: Because- yeah, I was so appreciative because- You know, all the struggles we went through, I mean, remember it was a year of, not quite a year, but let's say it was nine months, right? You know, there were times I hated you, you know, because of the pressure and like, this is what it takes. And I was kind of, you know, I'm a stubborn guy. So I was like, what does he know? You know, I've been at this for so long, but I, I took, let you take the lead of it. And uh, I love the fact that we went into that show and we didn't really know the outcome, right? It wasn't like, hey, you're gonna win this thing. And when I was able to do it, it just made it that much better because it was kind of a a surprise, but not really a surprise to both of us. Because when we knew we got down to the last day, we knew it was gonna happen, right? But you know, you just never know what the judges, right? Right. And, uh, you know, but I displayed the best package you know, quite arguably the best I've ever had. Right. And I knew at that point it was like, okay, how do we beat this? But at the same time, we like it revitalized my career and it gave me the opportunity of that much more uh, popularity. Like you said, I, I think like that by that time, Ronnie Coleman was way gone and I captured now his mass audience and solidified myself as undeniably the best body blur on the planet and you know that was a great feeling great feeling i never had felt that before even in 06 that's why i always said you know what was your best greatest victory like audience like it's the 09 because there was just so much gratifying appreciation for that body and that that preparation being the underdog again like worse than ever like i had never been that much of an underdog when no one predicts me in the top five right yeah I mean, that's how everyone's like, Jay's never going to come back. Right. Even my own sponsors, some of them were like that, you know? And that's why like after I signed a big deal with MD and, you know, we kind of just kept rolling with it, but it, I knew it would never peak that 2010 wasn't the same, you know, and then, you know, the rest is kind of history. You know, I lost to Phil in 11 and, and, uh, but, you know,
0: but even with 2010, we talked about that.
1: Yeah. Remember we talked about it and, you know, you said you're really going to have to dig deep because, you know, it. To,
0: you set such a high bar.
1: Yeah, and and we weren't able to capture that. And right. I think we there's a lot of questions. You know, you said, well, you didn't train as hard, or you know, you know, you got lazy, or what? And, no, and I didn't Maybe there is, but I think you know. I think right. I just was like, I know I'm not going to beat this. Right. Deep down, your your inner conscience tells you that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think also Phil Heath was becoming great. Mm-hmm. You know, in 09, he would have been right there with me. Yes, it wouldn't have been branch or dexter i don't think right there i agree would have been agree. phil because phil looked phenomenal leading up to that show like yep. very dangerous so when he came in 10 i mean you know that was a split contest too where there a lot of phil heath people like phil could have won that contest and and then obviously in 11 i was convinced more in 11 i was going to win it and then of course the bicep thing happened or whatever yeah
0: yeah no i think looking back at it it was always just for me It wasn't whether you were going to work or you're working hard or not. It was just always, and I, and I tell this to anybody, if you look at Ronnie Coleman, if you look at Lee Haney, if you look at Dorian Yates, how many shows out of all of their wins did they ever really peak? Maybe two or three, right? There's like the top two or three different shows. And, and I knew that was such a peak coming off of that. And off of the 2009 finish that when you go to when you went into 2010 and you had uh, you and Phil went one and two, I knew that it was going to be very, very tough to be able to start to repeat that look of 2009 because it's just really, you know, how many people have ever gone to their peak and then their next year gotten better than that really you know
1: yeah i think a lot of people hit the peak and then it's like four years later they peak again like Correct. i think that I bodybuilder peaks twice in the, the the high rain and you know i'm moving in my late 30s phil heath is in his early 30s listen i don't give a shit. age makes a huge difference right yeah. maturity happens but at the same time when you're fresh like you your body just clicks a lot easier yeah. and it wasn't getting easier like i was having trouble eating the food yeah You know, I was having trouble like staying full and you know, if my food wasn't in and you were on my ass about eating, like that was, that was my weak link was my body needed a lot of food. Yeah. Yeah. And if I didn't get it, it didn't look the same.
0: And that's where Carrie helped. Yeah. Carrie helped a lot. And she, she, she really, and we talk about this all the time, how important it is to have a strong woman, you know, or, or strong partner if you're a woman with a, with, with a male partner, um. Or, or same-sex bot or whatever, just any partner, you know, whoever it is. It's so important that you have somebody supporting you. And Carrie was always there. I mean, you look at your old videos, she was always there and everything else. with me. I and I think a lot of your success is because of her. I mean, I, you know, I...
1: Mm-hmm. The balance was there, right? So, you know, you, you you need... It was very individual at times, but many times, like, you need that that team, right? You mentioned that 09 team I put together was like impeccable right you couldn't really ask for a better like i had the training partners i had was filming you know small monkey tv for youtube which no one was doing at the time uh but they were there for me and then she was there to make sure the food was being eaten and okay this is what we need leading into the last week you know i she was running around and she was helping with the color and doing all that stuff and uh she was she knew the routine i mean she seen me at my high low you know winning losing she had been there so she knew how much it meant
0: yeah it was it was amazing because to, to really see how important that really is and she was able to be an integral part of that um that it's it's really important to have a, a person to be able to help you like at that level and again like you said we it was kind of the dream team because everybody in there you know even dave i used to you know and dave you know dave, i was never buddies with dave i became friends with dave through yeah. you and um and it was funny because uh i was just like in awe of it and you were just like like this is like when you when you get a dream team like the lakers the warriors or something Mm -hmm. like that together it was really good because it it really made a big difference in every aspect of of the prep and going into 10 you know winning uh with phil nipping at your heels and then 11 you it come in you say hey i'm going to do one more and i was starting to get a little bit like okay we don't want to get too long in the tooth do you feel good and you said yes and i and i felt like honestly like you were better than 2010 going into it i really do i think that i'm like okay this is kind of like going into that 2009 direction again mm-hmm. and then until the bicep tear and the hurt, when you got hurt and all that other yeah thing. i
1: mean i have pictures leading into 11 bro that i mean they're just astounding and i was going through a divorce at that time you know i moved I moved out, which a lot of people didn't know mm-hmm. in June and I was living at the Mandarin, you know, downtown, the Mandarin Oriental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. on the strip. So I was doing my prep out of there and I was training at, you know, late night. We were training at like midnight. And, uh, for the first time I was battling, like, you know, not being in a large space, although I was still going back and forth to my home with Carrie and I were on good terms, you know, remember my dog died. Yeah. Uh, yep. right then scrap. No, uh, trace, the big oh, trace that's Dale, right the um uh the airdale Airedale. yeah and uh Go to you. you know that was when i was actually shooting video with uh i was shooting with perv and then of course i was going through the divorce so i kind of felt like and then you know of course my contract was coming up with muscle tech they informed me that hey we're gonna cut your contract by like two-thirds and i was like man like this is all going bad you know and then uh, the bicep hair two or three weeks out, you know, doing a photo shoot, and me thinking it was just a strain. I remember sending pictures to you and you're like, bro, this is, no, this is not good. Yeah. You know, it was swollen. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And of course it was disastrous by the time uh, I drained the water and it was black and blue came about. And then of course everyone thought I shot my arm, right? Uh, so that was a kind of a, a hard point for me. I finished second. Then we had to go to, you know, India right after. And although right. I cleaned up a little bit for India, you know, Phil had won his first. So I was super stoked for Phil, man. Right. Like he looked phenomenal. I think that was the best Phil he'll feel we've ever seen aesthetic wise. I mean, we were talking about Oh one, my look, I think that was you know, Phil's greatest, you know? I don't know. It would have been a tough show. I mean, I still think that if I was on point, I would have beat Phil just because I had the momentum. I was Mr. Olympia. I was bigger and bigger, you know, with some aesthetics wins. And I think that leading into that show, I did have enough in the tank and I had already stated I was pretty much retiring after five victories and, uh, you know, it just didn't happen.
0: Well, I think that, like you said, Phil just started catching his stride and, at that point, like you said, Phil then didn't double peak again until 2013. And then that's when he got the one call out and 11 and 13 were really, really good. And having the injury obviously just was such a, you know, it just, it was such a huge setback at that point. Things, you know, got weird at that point. Right. Because it was like a lot of that uncertainty a lot of some some of that negativity creeping in and all of that stuff we went we went into um uh india um and, and the good thing is you know going backwards india when we had some really good times in india like the year before um and everything else when we went out there and uh we got, <laughs> i gotta you know when when we talk about the the times when we were all together um, during that, that, that period uh, between 2009 and let's say 2011, those two years um, when we we're shooting the DVD, man, I'll never forget when Phil passed out on the chair Yeah, and you're on the phone and I got to see if I can find that video. It's somewhere, but, and uh, we would just pray, you know, we would, we would haze Phil, right? It was like hazing Phil and you're like, get him get him you know and i was just like get the little you know and he'd pass out in between us and we're watching in your theater theater yeah and and then i just put phone on and then he's asleep and i would just be like wake the fuck up and (laughs) he was just just you know his eyes
1: would pop out of his head and like he would get so mad you know but yeah i laugh about those because he'd come to my house he played like um guitar guitar hero Hero and he was like a little kid man like (laughs) And, uh, you know, we just have these conversations. And then, you know, as we traveled, we always had the laughs, right? And, uh, you know, that was, we were just in a different realm then, right? And, uh, you know, then, of course, passing the torch. And I remember for years, like even after Phil wasn't, uh, he wasn't, his confidence wasn't like, he wasn't, he was a fan of bodybuilding still so for him to win you know i think he felt the same way i felt when ronnie it was like damn jay lost but i just won and you know he was super stoked and i I knew he would win anyway because of the bicep right they told me they said you know you can't win like this and uh you know i was so happy, happy for him it was just you know that was a that was like i was able to speech i mean what mr Olympiak was able to lose and give a speech for the current you know it never really happened right? right and because
0: uh, you were so mentally prepared.
1: Yeah. And you know, a lot of things started happening. Then, like, I remember we were approached leading into, you know, tw- after I lost, you know, they're like, you got to come back for 12. And I had the surgery in February because I had guest appearances like crazy after the Sharu Classic. And then Generation Iron approached us about the movie. You know, they originally reached out to me and they, they wanted me to be play a major role in the Generation uh, movie. And then, you know, Phil met. Well, I remember exactly they came to see us in New York City. And, you know, Phil and I had the discussion in the W Hotel there. And that's when, uh, you know, they, they wanted to launch the movie for 2012. But I said, I'll exit because I'm not going to compete. You know, I knew I wouldn't be able to get back. And, you know, I eventually mm-hmm. came back in 13, which is, you know, just to get back up there again. It was never really a plan. Like, I'm going to come win this title back it was more of like hey i just need to exit the way i want to exit and not be forced out by an injury
0: well and then you, when you decided to come back w- w- how was that was that something that you were just like 50-50 about or is it because i know that you were launching a brand at the time and yeah it was
1: uh, it was you know that was another reason too is you know i wanted the I wanted the hype right it's, and i didn't even really start training for that thing until you know june mhm so I literally prepared June to September. Why? Which, why did
0: you? Why did you wait so long to prepare for that show?
1: I don't know because I was touring on bus on my tour bus. If you remember, I had oh, my, that's right, my GNC With military Jess. tours. Yes, yeah, so Jess, you know, my buddy became my driver. So I was basically flying in in and off. He would he would get the bus to one location. I would fly in, ride the bus for a certain distance, and then when he had to do the long breaks from certain states as our, we did our path across we did a tour from all the way from east to west and back over like uh like a four or five month period you know I was flying back and forth and I, I you know it was just impossible to tra- you know I was in a different gym at midnight I was doing meet greet sometimes twice a day well because we didn't work together that year no we didn't right you know and I knew you know and partly the reason was is you know I, I didn't I knew I wasn't going to give it a so when I made the decision, I, you know, I brought in Chris Aceto, who I had originally worked with at the very end, you know, I had actually talked to like Chad Nichols. I mean, everyone wanted to Work say you. we wanted part part of this success story. I just knew that I wasn't going to give it a hundred percent, uh, because of where I was starting from, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have the density. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing when I stepped away with the bicep, I, I thought, okay, I'm done. Right. And I had the surgery and I started going out. I just finished my divorce. I'd meet, you know, out dating and partying and doing whatever in Vegas. Experienced that for the first time. I had no mindset of anything. So mentally, we talk about the mental game. If I didn't have that mentality, it was impossible. So, you know, when I did come back in 13, you know, I I rushed it. And I wasn't going to give it my all. So there was no reason to bring you in for it. But we never had really the discussion. I think that's where, you know, it was just a little awkward for a time. Yeah um and obviously you had Phil and he was you know no one was beating Phil Heath like right. come on like you know he had he had really just kind of got his stride like you mentioned uh but I thought I could have a good showing mm-hmm. like I thought okay I can be in the top you know 3 4 right. 5 whatever even at well, what percent you know I didn't see anyone that was just drastically better and you know as I prepared and you know I ended up finishing 6th you know rushed prep and uh you know was it a gift at six maybe i mean rami and roly looked good that year too but you know sean roden had come into the scene by then and i i, I didn't think that he was a world beater i never imagined him to be mr olympia mm-hmm. at that point and uh i just you know my respect was always to phil heath and you know we were still close at that time so you know it was they were all psyched to have me on stage because i had you know done a lot of things since then you know, with I stayed on, you know, the publicity trail and, uh, you know, finished uh, the my last Olympia, but I knew that was it.
0: That was it mm-hmm. at that point. Well, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a long, great career and you made, a, you had a lot of historical moments. And on top of that, the biggest thing that I knew you were always very keen on is being financially locked mm-hmm. in, you know, I mean... Was that because just, I, I mean, you know, your upbringing and everything was always the farm always, always, always like I, I talking to you was always like talking to a guy that was broke because that you had that mentality, like you're always broke. And which is, you know, I have that similar type of mentality, but with you, it was even another degree.
1: What,
0: what was, what's that like? Did that ever change? Cause you still feel that I'm way?
1: still to this day, like, you know, I, I don't. Although money, if you put a scale uh where money lies on my scale, it would be closer to the, the tenth spot than the top three or four. And because my life doesn't involve like certain things that others thrive for, right? I did a lot of things early in my life and established a lot of things early, and I've kind of set myself, I've done Many things through my career that given me financial freedom, uh, but my fear of being broke is what drove me. Okay, my fear of losing drove me. Uh, my fear of not being accepted drove me. That's what made me who I was. Um, I grew up on a farm, you know. I seven kids. My dad, you know, raised all of us kids, and you know, we weren't financially free in that sense. But my dad did a great job for what he could. And in the beginning, I mean, I was a starving bodybuilder trying to make money. I mean, I I couldn't afford anything. I mean, the food was expensive. I worked odd jobs. I mean, you know, we talk about the relationship with Carrie, you know, she worked two jobs to help support the bodybuilding in the beginning. We shared a car. And then, uh, you know, we rented an apartment. And, you know, slowly I started to transition into you know, opportunities. And a lot of the opportunities come from the relationships that I had. And I was able to, you know, get involved with many, many things. But at the same time, like we were rock bottom, like, how are we going to pay for things when we're, you know, we went out on our own after leaving my dad's house. We lived together. Carrie actually moved in to meet with me when we were like 18 or 19. And then eventually we had to exit and go on our own. And you know, like I said, I was trying to chase this bodybuilding thing. I was going to college at the time. Like everyone struggles a little bit, but as it progressed, you know, I became more and more successful and that always gave me drive. And, you know, I was always wanted to be like a goal setter and I wanted to be like the guy that was like, okay, I'm going to solidify this. And people told me from day one, you'll never make money in bodybuilding. They said, don't waste your time. And I said, I'm going to be the one to prove it wrong. And still to this day, I hear it all the time, like, oh, bodybuilding's broke and whatever. But the truth is, is like, I think there's more money today than back then. It's just that you're not going to be handed that money. Right. Like, you're not going to get the
0: big contracts like yes. you used to get.
1: And there was only a couple bodybuilders on the planet that ever got handed big money. And that was myself and Ronnie Coleman. And yes. you know, because you were in the middle of some of those deals. Yes. And it was big money, right? Yeah. Millions. Yeah. Yeah. So-
0: it was a different era, different
1: era, and in, in those days are done. Right, but you have to, you can still go out and you can create your own branding. Right. I mean, and do it all, and that's kind of what I've done. I've taken advantage of. I think if anyone, what I've set the standard for is like, I capitalized on being a very successful bodybuilder, and I feel I could have been a better bodybuilder if I didn't pursue some of that financial uh, success. I could have been a better bodybuilder, but I chose to kind of be ride the middle. Right. Right.
0: Between the financial and the actual
1: yes. placings. And, you know, I, I said, you know, I always say, I'm one to say, well, I'm, I'm not going to keep doing this because it's very taxing. But then, you know, five months later, I'm still doing the same thing. Right. I mean, I told you when I quit bodybuilding, I'll never T-bar row or bent row or deadlift again. And I do them every single back or leg workout.
0: And you said you'll never go on and do all
1: this touring ever again. And, and I love it. And you still do it because I love the fans and I appreciate what they've given me. I mean, I just did an appearance last week, you know, three hour appearance scheduled in New Jersey. I actually flew over for the day and I was on a time constraint and it was scheduled. I ran two and a half hours over. I w- it was 12 to three. I ran 12 to five 30. My flight was at seven. I, I barely, barely made the flight home, but mm-hmm. that's what I do. Right. Because I just love it that much, but I still have that fear of like, you know, I'm Jay Cutler, like, where's my legacy stand? And it's not so much financial at this point. Like, right. I'm still a little frugal about certain things, but I'll spend money on, you know, things that people wouldn't expect me to spend money on. Uh, but I want to, like, it's just like with my products and my reputation, I'll go out of my way so I have the solid, like, I want people to walk away with the experience rather than how much can it put in my pocket, right? Right. And that's what I love because everyone everyone needs motivation these days and especially the what we just went through. And uh, you know, I, I've learned to appreciate a lot more since I retired. I it's easy to now look from a distance over my career and realize how great I actually was at periods. Mm-hmm. And I also now can truthfully sit in front of you and if you question, hey, on that time that I questioned your like why you how focused you were it's easy for me to say you know what i i slacked a little bit in this sense and like you mentioned 2010 like i think that 09 rose me to here mm-hmm. and i saw no vision past that so it it kind of fell back mm-hmm. and then i think when i when there was a little controversial in in 10 with phil like i think it peaked me back up and then of course you know circumstance i wasn't able to be as great as i could have but underdog worked better for me it did always yeah i could tell what your winning was a curse for me yeah because i got satisfied very easily
0: yeah that was something that i definitely saw in in the situation that had happened in the past and while we worked together as well but um and just keeping you going and I think obviously you weren't used to having somebody ride you
1: no I mean no one to this day since you no one's ever spoken to me or uh, been that much of a relevancy towards the success you know I kind of make decisions right on my own boss I own every branding I do now and and make decisions I mean I'm 47 years old you know so there's not much people can really dictate in our life right we're we're self-employed we're entrepreneurs so it's kind of uh you know when you i still try to listen to what people say because there's a lot more experts than me when it comes to outside things but as far as my life and the direction i feel i have a great grasp on that and i'm happy that the competitive side is out of it in that sense
0: yeah yeah well you're now with angie you've been with angie now for a while four years four years um you guys it's awesome seeing you on social media and being so happy and balanced out and still no kids right is it no no children
1: um it's kind of weird man i just never
0: and when i say no kids right meaning that no plans because i obviously know you don't have kids but my whole thing or no that that any that we know about (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's the j smile yeah. uh the the biggest thing is just um is it just you've always did you always know that you didn't want to you
1: know what i, I i'm there was times i mean through my I, it's just you know with the busy schedule and you know I, I definitely during the pandemic and slowing down it made me realize like again there's a lot more to life than being on the road every weekend it gets very old uh, but i feel i have a commitment right Um, But I never say never, okay, never going to say never. But today, if you were asking me, I just, there's no real plans, you know. I mean, there's a few more steps I'd like to take before, you know, I I really kind of lose a little selfishness. I'm selfish, I'm going to be honest with that, because I'm still striving for greatness in certain areas of my life. And, uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. I like things to be a little more, uh, you know, natural that's all
0: what else is going to happen what do you see yourself in the next five ten years right now
1: it's always a question people ask me and yeah. uh you know man I, I i just you know i'm pretty happy like when i wake up every day and i feel good about my life meaning uh i travel you know i i feel like i've achieved what i needed to um in order to be in that place and you know i i we always talk about, I mean, today prior to this, you know, you and I sit and discussed all our things that maybe are on the table for like business, mm-hmm. but the most important thing is like to be happy. Right. And that, no one ever asks, you know, when you run into someone, they say, Hey, uh, how's business? You know, how's your family? How's this and that?" But you know what? No one ever asks you, are you happy? And truthfully, like, I, I think I'm one of the few Mr. Olympia's, uh, or bodybuilders that was able to say you know what i had what i consider a storybook career in a sense where i was able to achieve what i all set out to do and you know after losing it and coming back and winning it being the only guy in history and then being able to continue to do what i love and that's you know be involved in the arena like i do supplements and you know i promote the events and do all that stuff and i'm still doing the meet and greets i work with the military prior to the covid stuff i mean i'm working on doing that again and you know i just want to travel you know i want to catch up with you know the friends that i had i would love to relive some of these times that you and i and Phil had like you know you always try to chase that you know it's too far maybe sometimes but you know we had some good times and uh, it's just good to reconnect with a lot of people and and i uh, just be happy in life that's all
0: yeah well that's super important especially i think this pandemic has showed us to appreciate what we have um There's some, you know, you just never know when your time is up in this world with this situation, Mm -hmm. because obviously, you know, I went through some, some uh, tough times personally losing my father with this pandemic. But, um, the thing that I want to just say is thank you. Thanks for coming out, making this special brother. It's a, you know, we never really got a chance to, to go down and relive memory lane in person. You know, you're always busy. I'm always busy. Mm-hmm. You're running your company. I'm running my company. And it's always one of those things. So for you to take the time out, fly out here from Vegas to do this podcast with me and relive the moments, I, I really appreciate it because, um, it tells the mental mindset of a champion and not just on stage, but to become somebody who's financially independent and, mm-hmm. uh, that creates a lot of different, um, happiness so for those people uh that don't follow jay for whatever reason obviously we'll put all the links and everything in there um make sure you guys if you have any other questions um we might end up doing a a follow-up um yeah there's
1: so much more to go over i mean the afterlife of bodybuilding is you know it's it's so much more than just hey i you know i finished competing and you know the the inner person is it's changed a lot you know, my goals are definitely different. You know, people, I mean, we, you know, I walked today and ran into someone and they're like, man, you still look great. And, you know, there's still those questions. Are you going to come back and compete? And, you know, I'm scratching my head. I'm like, I'm 47 years old. And <laughs> like, why did we, why? That's how crazy bodybuilding is because someone like a Dexter Jackson jinxed all of us with like, right. oh, there's no age limit. Right. Right. And Albert Beckles and these guys, but that ship has sailed, man. Like it's, I'm enjoying watching the new guys, the new generation, Hottie, you know, who's amazing. And, you know, we talked a lot about that. I'm still a fan, as you can tell yeah. of it. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I love to watch the progression, but, you know, and I love the new divisions too. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm mm-hmm. not one of these bodybuilders that looks at men's physique or classic and thinks, oh, you know, those, are, those aren't real bodybuilders because some of those guys train pretty damn hard, right? Yeah. So there's so much more now that, you know, we've experienced because it's been 11 years since I won my last title, which is amazing to me. And it's really literally taken me 10 years to to understand what that journey was because I reminisce all the time. And, you know, I appreciate you bringing me back into a little bit and I'm glad that we uh, we had some great history together and continue. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be able to uh, have some more in the future.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming, um, Hani Rambon. And my special guest, four-time Mr. Olympia, the legend Jay Cutler. And that's the truth.
1: Till next time.